This Day in Maine is made possible by listeners and by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation. Offering crawl space repairs and waterproofing, easternbasements.com. From Maine Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Patty White with the news on this day in Maine, Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. After years of debate, state officials announced today that they've chosen Sears Island as their preferred site for a large-scale offshore wind port on the coast of Maine. The state studied other options in Eastport and Portland before narrowing to a choice between two sites in Searsport, Mack Point or Sears Island. Now officials say they believe Sears Island is the best option to jumpstart a burgeoning clean energy economy and transition away from fossil fuels. Nicola Grisco reports. The state of Maine plans to develop about 100 acres on Sears Island as a port where large floating wind turbines will be assembled and shipped some 20 miles offshore. Governor Janet Mills says she didn't come to the decision lightly, but believes that Sears Island is the best, least expensive, and most environmentally beneficial option. She says the state already owns the 940-acre island, while Mack Point is privately owned by Sprague Energy, meaning that the state would have to lease the land. That means that both the upfront and ongoing costs of the people to the people of Maine to pursue Sears Island are substantially less than if we were to pursue Mack Point. State officials say Sears Island is also better suited physically to support floating offshore wind. Unlike Sears Island, Mack Point would have to be dredged. They say Sears Island offers a large, unencumbered flat space with deep water access and offers the most direct approach in and out of the navigation channel. And they say using Sears Island would minimize the impacts on existing commercial and industrial uses at Mack Point. But some conservation groups say that's exactly why Mack Point should be chosen as the site for the new project. Mack Point consolidates industry in one location. It economizes on existing infrastructure like rail and road access. It, and it would replace and remediate some of Mack Point's brownfield kind of history. Stephen Miller is the executive director of the Islesboro Islands Trust. He's also part of the Alliance for Sears Island, an advocacy group that says it supports the development of an offshore wind port on Mack Point. Miller says Sears Island should remain undeveloped. It's become a popular hiking and birding spot, and for thousands of years it was a summer gathering place for the Wabanaki people, which Mills says she recognizes. Even as we pursue this port, it is the intent of the state of Maine to minimize to the greatest extent possible development of the parcel that we own. And some conservationists believe that Sears Island has been the state's choice since the beginning of the process. Rolf Olson is with Friends of Sears Island, which maintains its vast network of trails and has been participating in a statewide offshore wind advisory group. We think the destination has been known all along, that Sears Island was the preferred location for it, and so we will be watching for that. And even though Maine has indicated its preference for Sears Island, it's not a done deal. The Maine Department of Transportation must apply for both state and federal permits to construct the port there. And the federal government is expected to conduct its own environmental analysis of Sears Island and other site options. The public will also have multiple opportunities to weigh in. We must move forward. Delay is not an option. We have a slim but achievable pathway to transitioning to renewable energy and avoid the worst 
aspects of climate change. Searsport Town Manager James Gilway acknowledges that not everyone is on board with Sears Island. But he says the port is a crucial starting point for Maine to transition away from fossil fuels and toward 100 percent renewable energy by 2040. And he sees the offshore wind hub as an economic boon to mid-coast communities, particularly after the Bucksport paper mill closed a decade ago. Conservation groups, including the Alliance for Sears Island, agree. This development is about climate change, and we are in the midst of an incredibly overriding crisis with climate change. And it requires thinking differently about investments, and it requires thinking differently about the choice of places to do development. The Alliance's Steve Miller says given the urgency of climate change, the fastest way to jumpstart wind energy is through a new port at Mack Point. He says the Islesboro Islands Trust has retained legal counsel for the upcoming permitting process, which he expects will be protracted. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Nicole Lagrisco. State lawmakers today considered a bill that would require insurers to cover over-the-counter contraceptives from condoms to a newly approved daily pill. Lisa Margulies of Planned Parenthood of Northern New England says research has found that access to contraceptives is linked to improve educational and employment outcomes, as well as family stability. Despite these clear and well-documented benefits, contraceptive access is in jeopardy. Margulies says some states are actively pursuing policies that would restrict access. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield opposes the bill. It says the state already has a law that requires insurers to cover contraceptives when prescribed by a doctor. The victim of a sexual assault in 1979 has filed suit against the Bangor YMCA seeking damages for negligence. The suit filed on behalf of Wayne Quimby alleges that the Y failed to conduct a background search before hiring William Kearns as a basketball coach. Quimby was 13 and a player on Kearns' youth team when the coach sexually assaulted him. Kearns was later arrested and convicted. Quimby's attorney, Tim Kenlin, says Kearns had a previous sexual assault conviction, which should have barred him from being hired. You know, a simple background check at the time would have shown that and should have caused the Bangor Y to ask questions and, and hopefully they would not have hired him to this position had they known that. So it's important to not only hold the abuser himself accountable, but also the organization that knew or should have known that this was a danger. The suit also alleges Quimby first reported the assault to the manager of the Y, which failed to act. Maine passed a law three years ago lifting the statute of limitations for child sexual abuse claims. The University of Maine system says that it still expects to get financial aid information to its applicants next month, despite significant delays with the federal financial aid process. The federal FAFSA form is typically available in October, but it was delayed until December this year while federal agencies work to streamline the process. That's delayed the release of key financial aid information and led some colleges to push back certain enrollment deadlines. But the UMaine system says that its seven campuses have created a model that will still allow them to provide an estimated financial aid package to applicants beginning on March 1st. The system says those estimates will eventually be verified when the federal government supplies it with FAFSA data, hopefully by mid-March. The system has no current plans to push out any application or deposit deadlines. At a time when election year politics are once again blocking immigration reform in Congress, Republican state lawmakers are accusing Governor Janet Mills and Democrats of prioritizing asylum seekers over Maine residents. But Republicans have yet to offer any specific plans to deal with the influx of asylum seekers arriving in Maine. Kevin Miller reports. 
Republicans at the Statehouse have been ratcheting up their rhetoric over immigration for more than a month. But last week, they launched their most forceful attack yet on the tens of millions of dollars the state is spending to house, feed, and support asylum seekers. Taxpayers need to know how their money is being spent. This is unacceptable. That's House Republican Leader Representative Billy Bob Falkingham of Winter Harbor, who is speaking during a Statehouse press conference. Particularly one fund, the Emergency Housing Relief Fund. We found out of uh, a shocking number, $35 million or 63% of that fund is being used to house migrants, prioritizing them over Mainers. Falkingham is correct about that 63% figure. Over the past two years, state lawmakers have funneled an additional $55 million into homeless shelters, rental assistance, and subsidies for new affordable housing complexes in Bangor, Brunswick, and South Portland. But more than $34 million of that total, or roughly 63%, is slated to flow to programs that help the thousands of asylum seekers making their way to Maine, often after crossing the southern U.S. border. And Senate Minority Leader Trey Stewart of Prescott drew a direct line between the state's generous welfare policies and the surge of asylum seekers arriving in Maine. Nobody's saying deny them. We're just saying you don't have to spend $13 million on 85 families. That's the difference. That's the difference. You don't have to spend that kind of money to get results that actually move people's lives towards prosperity. That's a Democrat way of thinking, and we reject it. That $13 million is a reference to state spending on a SACO housing complex run by Catholic Charities of Maine. Designed as transitional housing, the converted SACO hotel can accommodate 85 families at any given time. But Charles Mugabe with Catholic Charities said the facility helped far more than that. Since July of 2022, 143 families, encompassing more than 550 individuals, have received shelter and services in SACO. Roughly half of those families and individuals have moved on to permanent housing. And Mugabe says families also receive help applying for asylum and work permits, as well as childcare, English language lessons, and job skills training. Uh, and I think that's such a great story to tell, because it is not that individuals are coming and staying for, for a longer period of time, but rather it is individuals coming through, preparing themselves for a life for an independent life outside of this particular program and for a much successful integration into the community. Much of that $55 million flowed to Maine Housing, the quasi-governmental agency that administers housing and energy assistance programs. Spokesman Scott Thistle says that while the $34 million has helped to house asylum seekers, he noted that exponentially larger amounts are provided to Maine citizens. When you look at our combined expenditures on rental assistance and uh, affordable housing creation, this figures that's gone to help asylum seekers is less than 3% of what we have appropriated over the three-year period. So it's, it's, a, it's a sliver of the total amount that goes to help folks um, with affordable housing. The increasingly heated rhetoric in Augusta comes at a time when Republicans in Congress are blocking changes that could help cities and states struggling to deal with the flood of asylum seekers. A bipartisan border and national security bill negotiated in the Senate would have allowed asylum seekers to legally work once they passed an initial screening. Right now, they have to wait at least 180 days after applying for asylum. But Republicans scuttled the deal under pressure from former President Donald Trump, who saw the bill as benefiting President Biden politically headed into November. Things turned feisty during last week's press conference in Augusta when reporters pointed out that congressional Republicans had killed the bill. 
Here's Augusta Senator Matt Pouliot. Well, I mean, there was a, there was, we're, 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 we're state level, we're state level policymakers. I'm going to say this. Here's the deal. We need, we need, we need the feds help to change the work permit requirements so that people can go to work. Yes. But in the meantime, we shouldn't be hanging a banner out front that says, come to Maine, we're going to take care of you and everything's going to be fine. That's a lie to those people because it can't even happen federally. Right. The Mills administration said in a statement that it has worked with communities, nonprofits, and other partners to respond to the surge in asylum seekers amid the, quote, continued federal inaction on immigration. At the same time, with the legislature's help, the state is investing historic sums into building affordable housing for all Maine residents. And Maine housing spokesman Scott Thistle says that new housing infrastructure will be available for decades to come. We're really grateful for this legislature and the bipartisan support that they've shown on housing and homelessness. I mean, it's been pretty strong over the last several years, and so we just uh, hope that we can continue that productive relationship. But with Congress once again gridlocked over the border and Republicans in Augusta taking a harder line on asylum seekers, it's all but guaranteed that immigration will remain an issue in Maine and nationally through the November elections. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Kevin Miller. And that's today's main news. For more stories, visit mainpublic.org. Coming up on Maine, calling at 11 tomorrow morning, the outlook for electric vehicles in Maine. I'm Patty White. Thanks for listening. <laughs>